Welcome to the Biblical Channel and to the book of Revelation, the wild and wonderful world of the book of Revelation. Oh yeah, that's where we're going to be for the next five series. We're going to take a look at the first three chapters first though, so come on in. Well, here at the Biblical Channel, we take great pride in reading the Bible as we talk about it. In a case like this with the book of Revelation, we're going to cover it so quickly that we can't really read it at first. We'd put you all to sleep and you wouldn't want that. So we're going to read it as we go. And we are going to make selections so that we get the feel for the whole thing, because sometimes we get lost in the details. And the book of Revelation is one of those books that's meant to be gone through on a quicker basis rather than getting lost in the details. It's supposed to leave an impression, a good impression, uh, an impression that will help us to tarry on. So we're going through it in five parts. We're going to look at the first three chapters, then chapter four and five, then chapter six to 16. And well, you'll, you'll hang in there with us. Um, and this will be fun. If you ever dared to uh, get into the book of Revelation, you'll have to be doing a lot of the reading on your own, but we encourage you to read the Bible because it is God's word to us. And the book of Revelation is just that, um, and hopefully will help you make sense of it and uh, really enjoy it, um, you know, in every way possible to make you stronger, to make you braver, to brave this new world that we live in. Anyhow, um, let's just jump into asking the Lord for help and uh, no better way to pray than to, well, pray the Lord's prayer. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And there, Lord, is what you do. You deliver us from evil. You and you alone can deliver us from evil. Please, Lord, always be delivering us from evil. Don't let us get led into temptation. And indeed, we come here to see Jesus and him only. All right, well, no better time than the present to, you know, kind of jump right into it because we have such a long way to go and a short time to get there because we do want to make, you know, our time together fairly short so that you can spend more time actually reading the Bible. We'll read lots of the book of Revelation, but um, we'll leave a lot of the reading to you as well, as we already mentioned. So I think the first thing that we need to lock into our brains is why. Why the book of Revelation? And I would say quite simply because it is a great ending to the magnificent book we call the Bible. You know, the best-selling book ever, ever, hands down. I heard somebody tell a joke that, uh, you know, the lady who wrote Harry Potter's given the Bible a run for money. Not even close. Not even close. Although that's a good series, I'm sure. But, you know, this, the Bible, is the book that beats all book sales across the world and across the nation. And uh, largely because people distribute it for free. Anyhow, but it is a great ending to the book we call the Bible. So the Bible starts off with Genesis and goes to Malachi. That would what we be that is what we would call the Old Testament. And the Old Testament is so begging for an ending. Um, there is so many loose ends and we are 
jonesing to figure out what's going to happen next. How are these promises that God made going to come together? What is this Messiah all about? Who will this Messiah be? Bam, the Gospels, the four Gospels in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, set out to give you the proper ending to the story. Who is Jesus Christ? And Jesus turns out to be God, the great visitation of God you know, on earth. And it is in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so really the Gospels give the Bible its proper ending. But then, of course, of course, the letters are, you know, what it's going to be like to now live with this information. What do we do with this information? We're going to keep living. God's not ending the world. So how do we live life? And that's what the letters are for. The apostles write letters back to the churches um, explaining, you know, lots of different things, very enjoyable reads meant to enlighten us, meant to help us, meant to be a good read. The whole Bible is meant to be a good read, and the book of Revelation is meant to be a good read as well. And one of the reasons why even the Gospels and the letters were written down was because it was becoming clear that Jesus was not going to return. And so part of uh, the book of Revelation's big task is to close off this big writing event um, to kind of caption, you know, the the opening and the ending um, to kind of match up. And I think John, who lived the longest of the apostles, saw the need for another writing. And it turns out that Jesus met him to actually give him the right ending to this book. And John, um, as an apostle, you know, as an apostle would, writes these words in faithfulness. He writes the words down through the experience that he had, and the experience that he had and the words that he write are all about the same thing that had been written down in the Gospels and in the letters, and that is the Gospel of Jesus Christ. So really the book of Revelation, one of the things you got to get in your mind is it doesn't add any new information. All of this is found elsewhere in, in triplicate, you know, it, you know, in the Gospels, in the letters, etc. Um, but it is written in a way that is meant to stir up the imagination, and not only just to stir up the imagination, but stir up your heart to create a certain bravery, to give you confidence, to give you the good vibe that you are in the right place when you are standing on planet Earth and calling yourself a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. So some people say the book of Revelation was written because, you know, people were really tired, uh, you know, just, you know, were frustrated that Jesus hadn't come back. And I would say, no, that's why actually the Gospels and the letters and the book of Revelation were written down because they knew um, that this was going to be a long haul, that God was not going to come back in Jesus Christ anytime really soon. And so things needed to be written down, solidified so that every generation could enjoy them. So every author has every generation in mind when they read. And so does the book of Revelation. It is meant to be enjoyed by every generation. So anyhow, it is the one last word that does close off the Bible, and I would say it does it very well with with color, with flair, with excitement, um, and we are to read it, you know, like John is our bro who is uh, faithfully discharging this last big giant gregarious vision, last couple visions, um, I'll say. And uh, it is really to answer the the you know the concerns of the people around. People know that life is hard. 
The Bible knows that life is hard. The Bible was written down. God intervenes into this world because life is hard. And it's God who wants us to know that he knows that this life is hard. And that is still the aim and the objective of the book of Revelation is to is to relieve our conscience by knowing that God knows how hard this world is. And so these books are meant to be a great relief. God is very aware that people just want Jesus to come back and get this thing over with. God is very aware that some are persecuted and there are some that just don't seem to give a hoot and some that are just plain bad. God knows all of that. God knows that Rome is a mess. He knows that all governments are a mess. And he also knows that the churches are a mess. And the book of Revelation makes it pretty clear that the churches are a mess, but the apostles beforehand in the letters reminded us that the churches were in a mess. Why? Because we are a bunch of jerks. The Bible makes that statement very clear. Every single one of us contribute to this world of a bunch of jerks, and we need straightened up. And so, you know, it's always going to be a mess. It's a hot mess of humanity. And the Bible is here to bring this hot mess to a nice organized meal to give us something to really belly up to and to have a good think about. And and God is very aware of what's going on. And the book of Revelation makes this point too, that God is very aware of what is going on. And also the 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 people, you know, that this was written to uh, understood that there is religious hostility for them. It was the Jews and also the uh, temple shrines of, of Rome. There was government hostility. Rome had finally turned you know, a corner and started blaming Christians for things. And there's also hostility that comes from inside the churches, shooting inside the tent is going on too. So the big overall message of the book of Revelation is just like the other books, and that is to be brave. God knows, God cares, God wins. Life does matter. Be on team God. Okay, so let's just dive into this first chapter of the book of Revelation. And the formula that John is giving us is that that clear formula of how the rest of the Bible was written too. God picks a faithful witness to use their literary skills to write things down in such a way that it can be used for generations to come because this information needs to be known for every generation. And so John's opening remarks, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants, the things coming, the things that must soon take place made known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God, to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all of that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads allowed the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and keep what is written in it, the time is near. So that is just John taking his normal stance that an apostle takes, and that is, I am the faithful messenger. Who's that writing? Well, that old-timey song, that old-timey hymn makes it clear. John, John, the revelator. Now, you know, I like having fun with it because it's an old-timey hymn, John the Revelator. But John's just being a faithful apostle. John, as a, you know, as as in the apostolic tradition here is definitely bringing the faithful message of Jesus Christ to Jesus people, the churches and the people inside of the churches. John is making it clear, I'm just the messenger. In fact, the word angel just means messenger. And at times he uses the word angel as earthly angels, 
earthly messengers, and also there is a heavenly angel messenger that has gathered John up into these two visions, and John is saying, hey, I am reporting faithfully what I was to report, and he is going to use his literary skills. So for those who think that John was on some sort of drugs or hallucinogenic drugs, plant life, etc., whenever he wrote this, yeah, nice try, but it's too well organized. Even non-Christians know that it's a really well-organized piece of literature. Pretty hard to do that when you're dropping acid or whatever the case might be. John's making it clear. I'm just the messenger here. I was caught up in, in, in a scene. It is Jesus who wants this message to be made clear. So whether John thought there needed to be another book or not, Jesus made it clear that there needed to be one last message for God's people to hear and to add into the collection of God's words to God's people. And it's also interesting that, you know, when Jesus is ascended to the right hand of the Father on his throne, uh, you know, that uh, he only makes two appearances after that, one to knock up Paul uh, on the side of the head and uh, get him going in the right direction. And so it seems like Jesus comes down to earth. And here, John, in a second time that Jesus is going to make a post-ascension appearance, he brings John up to him through this messenger, through this angel. Um, and John's making that clear. This is what happened. And the message is to the churches, but do know this, that what we're going to hear in the churches applies to human beings. The churches are just a group of people. People take on the character of, of, of human characteristics. The, the, the individual, you know, has characteristics and groups take on characteristics of individuals. And so you can go both ways. Listen, whenever I read the uh, words to the churches, which we'll take a look at in a moment, I they're all about me. I have made the mistakes of all those churches. I have those temptations of all those churches. I have experienced on a daily basis, sometimes in the same week, all seven churches. You know, sometimes I have experienced, you know, the words written to those churches multiple times and in different ways in one day. And so this message may be for them, but it's also for us in that way as well. And so John is writing to the seven churches. These words are for them, but they're also for everyone. And that's how the letters and the, and the gospels actually are written down as well. And the message is from God. John is at pains to tell us that this message is from God. Grace to you and peace from him who is, who was, and is to come. That's a nice Greek way of saying that uh, Yahweh is involved here. Yahweh is the name of God in the old part of the Bible that he gives himself, which simply means I am who I am. I was who I was. I will be who I will be. And so there's a nice little reference to remind us that who is sending this message is ultimately God, God that revealed his message in the old part of the Bible, as well as this new part of the Bible and the seven spirits before his throne, Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings. This message is from God. That's what John is at pains to tell us. And, and this message is still about the gospel. So John also makes it clear that this message comes from the one who loves us and who has saved us or freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom of priests to his God and Father, to him be the glory and dominion forever 
and ever. You see, John's perspective in the book of Revelation, surprisingly, is not about the future. It's about what happened in his you know, lifetime, maybe 40, 50 years ago, and that is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The greatest battle, from God's point of view, is not something in the future when it all ends. That's not even a battle. That's just a decision that God makes to uh, just wrap it all up. The big battle that God points out to us and the apostles point out to us is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, in which evil and death are defeated. And John will talk about that once more as he closes this section in, in verse 17 of chapter 1. He said, when I saw him, which John sees him, I fell at his feet. And he said, don't be afraid. Fear not, for not. I am the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. And John also makes that strong Old Testament connection of Jesus Christ in his current status that he sees is the Daniel 7 vision. So if you go back into the old part of the Bible in Daniel chapter 7, you find that, you know, this is a description that Jesus himself takes for himself. So when Jesus is walking the earth, he calls himself the son of man so that we would go back and read that vision that Daniel had hundreds of years before. And in that vision, Daniel describes one like a son of man whose hairs were, you know, white and his clothes were like wool and his eyes were flaming and his feet were like bronze and his voice was like the roar of many waters. That's all Daniel language. So once again, John is making that very clear connection that who he is talking about is the same one that was with us and recorded in the Gospels and in the letters. This is the same Jesus. And I think John's overall point in the opening chapter is that Jesus is alive and kicking. He is not dead. He is not gone. He is not in, in a remote place where he doesn't know what's going on. He's alive and kicking. He's still involved. He's still gospeling. He's still judging. He's still forgiven. He is still ruling, and he's still coming, and he's still teaching. And so the book of Revelation is teaching us. That's what Jesus does. He teaches us because he loves us, and he makes it clear to John get up here, man. I love you. I love you. And I love my churches. I love my people. I am here to give you, you know, a good message and you're going to write this thing down and deliver it. But as he delivers this message, John makes it clear that the churches, Jesus makes it clear that the churches are not in great shape, that they've got stuff that they've got to work on. They've got to look inside and they've got to become better selves. They've got to, you know, do a little lacing up of the boots and get some bravery going. They need to reconnect with, you know, who they signed on with. And who they signed on with is Jesus Christ, who is God, and he is alive and well, and he is completely knowing what's going on. So now let's just dive right into the chapters two and three, which are the individual letters or, you know, written to the churches, which do a few things. There's a pattern to this. So each one of the churches is identified, first of all. So in chapter two and three, each one of the churches is identified. And as they are identified, 
the next identification that comes into play is Jesus himself. So there's this, this set of words that will identify who Jesus is, who God is, okay? And then there's a section where Jesus makes it clear through John that he knows. He knows what's going on in these churches, which is a very important framework for our imagination and our reality, and that is that Jesus does know actively what is going on in your church, in your life, in the world. He knows what's going on because he is God. And so this, there's this I know section. And for five out of the seven churches, there is a word to repent. You got to clean up your act. You have got to straighten up. And we'll get into more of this later. And then the last uh, two things that repeat themselves is the words, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. But the, also the words that are repeated that close out each one of the church's little letters is to the one who conquers um, and then something is said. So what I want to do is focus on not necessarily the church, but the representation of what's going on in the church. But more importantly, who is Jesus in each church's letter? And who are we promised to be in each one of the church's letters too? So like I said before, each one of these churches is about individuals, and each you know individual has something to hear because I can be where these churches are any given day of the week, and it happens regularly. That's why we need to listen to what is being said to each one of these churches as ourselves personally. Yeah, they were real places, but they were representations of the pattern of problems that the churches will always face. Once again, it's not necessarily about the future. It's about the current reality for every generation. Okay, so let's just take a look at Ephesus. And the angel of the church in Ephesus is to write. And this angel is like Mr. McFeely. This is a human being. Uh, this angel is a messenger, but he's a, you know, a real person that is to deliver this message to the church. Each church has their own little angel, but this is more like Mr. McFeely, who's bringing the letter personally. This is not a heavenly or divine being in any way. The one who brought John up into the heavens, definitely a divine being, kind of like a Gabriel, you know, that kind of angel. But the word angel means messenger, so let's keep that straight. But anyhow, the angel or the messenger is to tell the people in Ephesus this. First of all, who is Jesus? The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. That's who Jesus is. Okay. And he says, I know. I know who you are. I know what you're facing. And I'm just going to summarize that. Jesus basically says, I know your good works. I know your endurance, which is good, and your accountability, which is really good too. You are holding people to be accountable. You've I've actually identified false apostles. That's all good stuff. Your teaching is spot on. But he says, I have something against you and you need to repent from it. And that is you have lost love. You know, listen, you know, you have probably been that person or or you at least know somebody who is that person who says the right things, but the way they say it is unloving. And therefore, 
since the way that they say it is unloving, it's really hard to get the message through. Jesus commands us to be loving. The church in Ephesus is good in so many ways, but they have lost their first love. They need to repent of this. And Jesus is ready to forgive them and ready to reset the meter, just like he does with us, you know, even today. Sometimes we uh, may be saying the right things, but we are not saying it in love and we are in the wrong too. And so, you know, this is the main message uh, that Jesus has, but he says to the one who conquers, and that's why I wore my brave shirt, home of the brave shirt, be brave. To the one who conquers, be brave, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So I've got that going for me, which is nice. Let's move on to the next church, the Smyrna church. So the messenger says to the Smyrna church, first of all, who is Jesus now? The words of the first and the last who died and came to life. That's who Jesus is. That's who God is. The words of the first and the last who died and came to life. Interestingly, the church in Smyrna has nothing to repent on. They're doing good, but they are poor. And Jesus says, don't let your poverty get in your way. You're rich as far as I'm concerned because you're faithful. You see, when we are faithful, Jesus considers us rich, you know, big time rich. Faithfulness in the Bible is our richness counted to us by God. And so this church is facing many tribulations. They are first facing persecutions. They're, 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 they're a good church. And Jesus says, I know it. You are facing some serious stuff. It's like the devil himself is in your midst. Persecutions have already come your way, and they are even coming more, even to the point of death. Be faithful unto death, he says, and I will give you the crown of life. Don't forget that. Don't give up on your faithfulness. You are rich, and I will give you the crown of life. But to the one who conquers, be brave. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Now listen, the only one who can say that is God. And Jesus is God. And the one thing that puts me into Jesus' camp clearly is the fact that he conquers death. He says he conquers death. He shows that he conquers death. He reminds us that the most important thing about Jesus Christ is that he conquers death and he gives life. So we're in the right place. Persecutions, persecutions will be a very limited thing because we will conquer death and we are rich with our faith in Jesus Christ. Okay, now to the church in Pergamum. Um, we hear that Jesus is the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. The Bible always equates the word of God to a sword that cuts us, you know, to the inside. And so that's who Jesus is. And Jesus makes it clear. I know where you dwell. I know you dwell where Satan's throne is, which is an interesting reference because Pergamum is the place where Caesar Augustus had set up a temple to himself as a God. And <clears throat> this church in Pergamum is, is living in Domitius's day. And Domitius has turned up the heat on 
um, uh, bowing to the emperor and worshiping the emperor as God. And Jesus makes it clear, I know this is rough stuff. You're in a rough neighborhood. You are in a rough place. It's tough living. But he says, you are faithful. You are already being persecuted. You have already lost a brother named Antipas, and it might happen again. This is tough stuff, living in the place where Caesar's temple is, especially in these days where Domitius has turned up the heat. He says, hang in there, you're doing well, but you do have one thing you need to repent of, and you need to tell Balaam and those who follow Balaam their asses. Well, that's my words, not his. But it is interesting that Jesus brings up Balaam in that story and how Balaam, way back in the book of Numbers, led Israel astray. The word Balaam, the name Balaam, actually means to swallow down a people or nation. And so Balaam, I doubt that Balaam was a real person because his name seems to be given to him like a nickname. And then the Nicolaitans, interesting, because in Greek, the word Nicolaitan actually means the same as Balaam, to swallow down a people or nation. And basically what is being, you know, identified here is that there are people in the church that are holding to the teaching of like Balaam, not in a real sense that there's actually some religion of Balaam. That's not it. It's that like Balaam, People are leading Christians back to the temples where, you know, sexual immorality is happening, food sacrifice to idols. They're encouraging them to still partake in the temple worship that is going on in the Roman Empire. And Jesus says, you got to repent from that. And you got to tell these Balaam people they're asses. You got to tell these Nicolaitans that they are asses like Balaam. It was an ass. And you know the old Balaam and ass story. And if you don't, go to Numbers chapter 29, I think. Well, I could have that wrong. But here's the, here's, here's the part we all need to hear. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. So I got that going for me, which is nice. I like hearing that from the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword, and you should too. And then there's the uh, church of Thyatira. Thyatira um, is also told, you've got some, you know, Jesus says, I know your good works. I know your love and your faith and your servant service and your patient endurance. I know that, and that's good. Keep up the good work. Keep up the good work. But he does have one thing against them, and that is, they let Jezebel, some wild, crazy lady in their church. They're a little bit too quiet and permissive. And so obviously Jezebel's probably some, you know, maybe she's a rich lady. Maybe she's just a charismatic lady who, you know, is, is somehow encouraging people once again to come back into these temples and to participate in adultery and sexual immorality, saying that sex doesn't matter. And Jesus says, I know it. She's there. And you need to tell her that she's from hell. Tell Jezebel she's from hell. Your good works, your good love, your good faith, I noticed that. But you got to tell Jezebel that she's from hell. I've given her time to repent, Jesus says. She hasn't repented yet. You got to keep telling her to repent. And that is the main message that, you know, you have to be telling people that their behavior is is 
is completely off center of the gospel and tell them to repent. You don't have to get mean with them. You don't even have to, you don't have to punish them or anything, but you got to tell them, man, your teaching is from hell. Your lifestyle is from hell. You got to stop it. Doesn't even mean you have to kick them out necessarily, but you can't let them take leadership in these churches. And so Jesus is saying, I, I know what's going on there and you're too quiet and you're too permissive and you need to tell Jezebel she's from hell. But here's the part that I like. He who has an ear, let him hear to the one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end to him. I will give authority over the nations and he will rule with them with a rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken into pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my father and I will give him the morning star. So I've got that going for me, which is nice. Be strong, conquer, be brave, be the home of the brave. Stand up to bad behavior and don't, don't let people get away with it. Remind them that your, your behavior is from hell. It's not from heaven. Just that simple. Okay, how about the church in Sardis? Uh, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. That's who God is. That's who Jesus is. The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. And again, he says, I know your works. And he doesn't have a lot of good things to say here. He says, you have the reputation of being alive, but you're dead. You need to wake up. You need to remember what you received. And so this is a big call that you know, the, these folks are charismatic. They look good but they are empty on good thinking. And Jesus says, I know you look good, but you ain't no good. And you need to repent and repent. You should. And he says, if you repent, remember to the one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments. And I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. If you repent, You've got that going for you, which is nice. You can't be the kind of people that are superficial and look good and have nothing to say and have nothing to really, any good thinking to think about. You got to do better. You've got to do better. And so the church in Philadelphia comes next. And who is Jesus? He's the one with the words of the Holy One, the true one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. Jesus. God. That's who he is. And so the church in Philadelphia also has nothing to repent on. They're doing very well, but they are living um, as a small group and a faithful group, but they are being bullied by Jews. And Jewish hostility was a real thing in these days because the Jews did occupy a good spot with Rome and they didn't want these Christians to mess it up. And so they are harassing this little church. And Jesus says, you have got to hang in there. You've got to remember, be brave because the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own name. Hang in there. Hang in there, Philadelphia church. Hang in there, everybody who is facing the bullying of you know religion and the bullying of government, the bullying of other. Hang in there. Hang in there. And the promise that he makes sure is nice to hear. That's what I remember whenever I'm facing hostilities. And then lastly is the church in Laodicea. 
And again, Jesus is called the words of the amen, the faithful, the true witness, the beginning of God's creation. That's who Jesus is. That's why he's God, because he is. He is. And he says to the church in Laodicea, I know your works. And the problem is you're neither hot nor cold. I love thinking about that because sometimes it's better to be completely wrong and actually have a heartbeat, you know, or a passion behind what you are, even if you are wrong, because the worst state to be in is lukewarm, where, you know, you really have no thoughts of your own. Nihilism today is, is I think, where most people are. They're trying desperately to live a life of no thinking whatsoever. And Jesus says, you may say that you're rich. You may say that you prosper. You may say that you need nothing, but you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Being lukewarm is the worst of all places. If you're passionately wrong, you have a good chance of maybe being corrected. But if you're lukewarm, you're in the worst possible place. And Jesus says, you have got to repent. Because I love you. Those whom I love, I reprove and I discipline. So repent. Don't be a child. Don't be an infant. Don't be silly and, and, and be stubborn and, and not think that you need to repent. Repent. And these are the closing words of the churches. And I think it's a, just the right place to close on because Jesus makes it abundantly clear that he's knocking He's knocking, he stands at a door and he's knocking and he says, he says, if you hear my voice, open that door, come in because I am so willing, so wanting to forgive you when you repent. You see, we've got to remember that it's our pride that keeps us from repenting. It's, it's our pride in this world that keeps us from moving closer to God and Jesus Christ. But what Jesus says to us here. We're going to close with these words to the one who conquers the home of the brave, you, me, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. I've got that going for me, which is nice. And you do too. Now, the, uh, Next uh, chapters is going to get a little bit more electric in its uh, visions and its language and its pictures. And we'll dive into chapter four and five the next time. But right now, hear the message clear. This is encouraging because Jesus is willing to forgive everybody who repents. And it is never too late to repent and come to Jesus Christ. And when you come to Jesus Christ, you've come to the right place. You've come to the winner. You've come to the winner because he has died and rose again. He has conquered death. He has conquered evil. No matter what evils have come upon you and you've participated in, Jesus can conquer that. And he needs you to repent so that he can just bathe you in his love. So that's where we're going to end. We'll see you next time. Hey.